Welcome to the Centerpoint Vineyard Podcast. We're a church on Sydney's northern beaches, seeing lives transformed by Jesus. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning, everyone. Um, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Sam. um, And it's great to be here this morning, um, sharing with you what we've been reading um, in this book, uh, living like, praying like monks, living like fools. Um, Jono kicked us off last week um, talking about this and as Tanya said if you haven't got the book then go and buy it Um, I don't even know where you buy books from anymore Kurong I I buy all my books on Kindle shout out to Danny and still got two extra copies oh there's two at the back Um, but yeah that's what we've been going through as a church and it's a really great practical book on prayer um, and we can't unpack all of it in these four weeks so go away and read it. I actually spoke a couple of months ago um, on prayer after reading this book for the first time um, and when Jonathan said we're going to do a series on this book I asked, um, I said to him, you realise I did that like two months ago um, <laughs> and so today I'm just going to recycle that sermon. <laughs> just kidding. Um, So last week we started by looking at postures in prayer um, and how we can grow um, to become more like Jesus in that. And today I'll be continuing on the series looking at adoration in prayer. When I um, saved my little file I have here, I actually got the name of the book around the wrong way. Um, I had it as living like monks, praying like fools. Um, and I find it quite funny because not like I feel like I'm living like a monk, uh, far from it, um, but I do feel like I pray like a fool sometimes. And I don't believe I'm on my own in that. I feel like the disciples needed some direction too. Um, and they asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. And he does, show, does so by showing them what we now know as the Lord's Prayer, which I touched on last time I spoke, but it's a great prayer because Jesus taught it, firstly, and it has a lot to do with adoration. And so today I'm going to be unpacking that a little bit more, Um, but just the first line. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Um, Tyler notes in the book that when Jesus' disciples said to him, teach us how to pray, it wasn't because they had no idea what prayer is. In fact, they would have been pretty, pretty covered on the prayer front. They grew up in ancient Israel, in Jewish families, and prayer was a huge order of the disciples' lives. But since they were living like that, why did they ask Jesus to teach them how to pray? Um, If you can't tell by the way I speak, then that makes me very sad, but I'm actually from the UK. Um, All my family are back there, and one of my favourite things about going home is eating my grandma's cheesecake. Um, It's not actually that one. I'm not that good. It's way better than that. And it is a pretty good cheesecake. Um, And no cheesecake comes close to grandma's cheesecake. And I grew up thinking that all cheesecake would taste like my grandma's cheesecake. And I quickly learned that it does not. Um, And I found out, and I mean, I I have no interest in baking, so I'm hoping Ella does, but I found out that my grandma actually passes this recipe down. So my mum has it, and she makes a pretty good cheesecake. And I'm hoping one day 
Ella and I will pass the test to get this cheesecake recipe. And maybe one day we can share it with all of you. Um, but I'm like, why is it so special? Why is it so different? And there has to be something that she puts in it. I don't know what it is, but it just tastes so damn good. So why would the disciples ask Jesus to teach them to pray? The simple answer is that Jesus had grandma's cheesecake. There was something different about the way Jesus prayed to what the disciples were used to. He prayed with a sense of familiarity with God that no one would have ever seen. He prayed in reverence. He prayed in conversation, involving probably more listening than talking, because it was in prayer that Jesus got his marching orders. As Jonathan said last week, prayer is where we are able to partner with God and join in with what he's doing. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he wasn't teaching them to pray more or to pray harder, but rather to pray differently. Teach us to pray. The implication being to pray like that, the way you do, Jesus. Jesus responded to his disciples' questions, not with instructions, but with a demonstration. He showed them how to pray, offering a model to follow. And in the first line of prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, Jesus completely alters the foundation of prayer and adoration for the disciples. The first step in adoration in prayer is remembering who God is, our Father. We frequently sing of that truth and that God is our Father, but when the disciples would have heard this, they would have been kind of shocked. The intimacy in saying our Father is not what they would have been accustomed to. The disciples' grounding text as um, Jewish people would have been the book of Exodus, where the Lord appears as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So the question in those days was never, does God exist? Because they could see him. They could see him in the cloud. They could see him in the fire. And it would have been silly to ask, does God exist? But the question in those days would have been, is God knowable? A pillar of fire does not seem very knowable. <laughs> Seems pretty intimidating. And Jesus introduces them not to a new God, but rather opens their eyes that, and their prayer life that the powerful God they have heard the story of Exodus about and their ancestors would have seen is the same God they can call Father. And it's intimacy with the Father that leads to adoration in prayer. So adoration starts with remembering who God is, our Father, um, which for us now in our culture is probably easier to do than it is to live in reverence to him. Whereas for the disciples, it would have been the other way around. As we know God as our Father, in that place of intimacy, it can be easy to forget the powerful, all-knowing characteristics of God, who parted the Red Sea, who was the pillar of fire. And what is interesting about the Lord's Prayer is that it, and I mentioned this last time I spoke, but the prayer is actually very similar to one that the Jewish people would have been praying in the temples. And Jesus just changing it to add in parts like our Father, to make it more intimate. And in that moment, Jesus is saying, pray like you're used to praying, but do it on a more intimate level than you think you're allowed to. Richard Foster, in his book, aptly titled Prayer, um, writes that adoration has two sides, thanksgiving and praise. Thanksgiving is where we give God the glory for what he has done, and praise being where we give <coughs> Glory to God for who he is in himself. And just take a moment to reflect on these definitions and how we can incorporate them into our prayer life.
Do you think that we do thanksgiving better than we do praise, or do we do praise better than thanksgiving? Both are important and both are foundations of adoration in prayer. So to pray in adoration, we simply remember who God is, all the reasons we have to deeply love and adore him, to worship him. If you need some inspiration in doing this, the Psalms are a great place to start. They're full of psalms of praise and thanksgiving, um, and I think reading them and praying them in your prayer time is a great practical step to take in beginning the journey of prayer in adoration. Here are some psalms I'd recommend for this, and I think Tanya must have had a peek at um, my slides because we read Psalm 111 this morning. Um, but Psalm 34, 92, 95, 100, and 111 are great places to start, and there's many, many more. Um, and maybe Jonna can share that in the week. Um, but use them, read them aloud and when you reach a line that resonates with you, stop, ponder over it and use it to start praying your own psalm. Those of you who are more creative um, may even want to write a psalm of praise yourself. Um, side note, one of my favourite things about studying theology was that one of my assignments was literally to write a psalm. Um, I mean, that's a pretty fun assignment. If, I mean, I'm a bit of a nerd, clearly, but I found it a fun assignment. There's not many degrees that you would do where that would be an assignment for you. And it was a super cool way to start practicing this praying in adoration. The second step in adoration prayer is to remember who you are. Jesus taught the disciples to say, Our Father, because we are God's children. That means that this adoration is a two-way thing. God deeply loves you and longs to be in communication with you. So when you're in conversation with him, remember that you are a child of his. If we want to grow in adoration, we have to grow in our time spent in the presence of the Lord and in prayer. We sang a song in worship last week with the lyrics, The more I seek you, the more I find you. And the more I find you, the more I love you. The more we seek him, the more we'll grow in adoration. In the book, um, Tyler touches on the topic of unanswered prayer. And I think it's often easy for us to come to our prayer time with a whole list of things we want to ask God for. And there's nothing wrong with this. And a lot of prayers do get answered. But how many of you can think of a prayer that hasn't been answered yet? And if you haven't had that moment, I'm sure you will at some point, because prayer and relationship with the Lord isn't totally about just bringing your requests to Him. It's definitely part of it, but it's not all of it. Relationship and love come first. How many of you, every time you meet up with a friend, just bring them a whole thing, a whole list of things that you want from them, and then just leave? Like if I met up with a friend for coffee and just did that, I'm not sure they'd be my friend for much longer. Um, and it's the same in our relationship with the Lord. We hang out with our friends, we build relationships with them, and we learn to grow and love them. And the more we spend time with them, because we do things with them, and we are spending this time just chatting with them and getting to know them, the more likely they are that when we do ask a favour or something of them, that they'll do it. Similarly, as we grow in adoration, learning to lean into relationship and listen, the more we will see God move in our community, as we'll learn that prayer is about the journeying and partnering with God. 
learning to deeply love one another rather than rattle off our lists and wants. And this is not to say that God does not care about your lists, because he does. And he knows what you need before you even open your mouth. And it says in Matthew 7, verse 11, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? But the asking shouldn't be the priority. The priority should be adoration and relationship. As we lift our eyes to God in adoration, we understand more of his identity, but also gain a greater understanding of his view of us. The biblical letters, um, they don't call the earliest Christians Christians. They refer to them as saints. And when we think of the word saints, we think of these elite saints, like the one that's now Father Christmas and all the colleges and stuff named after all these various different saints. Um, but Tyler points out in his book that the biblical use of the word saint has nothing to do with human competence, but everything to do with divine grace. To call someone a saint is not necessarily to call them good. It is only to name them as someone who has experienced the goodness of God. We recover our sainthood simply through adoration. When we remember who God is, when we experience his goodness, we recover our own identity as well. Adoration is a place of prayer where we discover that God's love is the defining reality of every square inch of creation, including me and including you. So in adoration prayer, remember who God is and in turn remember who you are in and through and because of his love, fearfully and wonderfully made. When we say our Father, we are really asking him to remind us again today that we are loved. The other point to note about our Father is that it is our Father. It's not my Father. It's a claim not only about who we are to God in his children, but also who we are to each other, brother and sister. All of us are siblings <coughs> in the kingdom. Prayer is the place these truths further become revealed. It's where we discover God's identity, our own identity, and the identity of everyone around us. We start to see and view the world and those in it through his eyes of deep love and adoration. So that's the Our Father bit covered. Um, on to the next bit. <laughs> After this, um, Our Father comes, hallowed be your name. The word hallowed means to make holy, to set apart, sanctify, consecrate, dedicate. And the closest commonly used English word nowadays is probably honor. Our Father is a reminder of God's intimacy and his deep love for us. Hallowed is a reminder of his separateness, his majesty, his incomprehensible greatness. As I mentioned, um, the pendulum of popular thought has swung between Jesus' time and our own. We are comforted by the sentimentality of our Father, a title that would have been hard to comprehend in the context in which it was written, but now we are equally shocked by devoted defer deference of hallowed be your name. Words that the disciples would have been comforted by. And Tyler in the book points out that this is the precise reason that we need the second line of the Lord's Prayer every much as we need the first. Hallowing is an active kind of praying. 
honouring, adoring, naming the greatness of God. Jesus, through the Lord's Prayer, teaches that when we open from the quiet and silence of prayer, the first words we pray should honour the God who is on the receiving end of our prayers. So why hallowed? Why does an all-powerful, completely loving, holy, self-sufficient God need me or need you to tell him how great he is? Is it so we can butter him up before the big ask? Like before I ask Ella if I can play golf, I'll say, wow, you look so beautiful today. <laughs> no, it's not like that, not even close. But, but why then? Well, Tyler makes the point that this isn't for God. It is for my own benefit and for yours too. It's an important part of prayer because believe it or not, the world is a fiercely contested place. People are worshipping all kinds of gods and things that aren't Jesus. And sometimes even without realising it. And so sometimes that can even filter into our own prayer lives. Subconsciously, when we open our mouths and begin to pray, sometimes another name is being hallowed in our hearts. And we come to God, but our prayers are on a totally different wavelength. Ever prayed a prayer that is out of selfish ambition? About your own success or productivity? I know I have. I regularly pray for Arsenal to win. <laughs> we start by hallowing and in adoration because our prayers come from the setting of the world and we need to step out of that and into the kingdom of God. So we hallow and as we do, we invite God to reorder our priorities and our affections. In the book of Revelation, yes, Revelation, some of you are now like, wow, Sam. Where are you going with this? Um, look, I love the book of Re Revelation. It's an incredible book. Um, and I'm not going to dive into it too much now, but in Revelation 4, verse 8, there's the verse, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And it's in a famous worship song now, and it's inspired a lot of other worship songs. But the verse is being said by these four creatures, um, each of which is covered in eyes even under their wings, it says. Um, and that's pretty weird. Like, what is the purpose of all of these eyes? I hear you ask. Well, eyes are for seeing, obviously. Um, but what are they seeing? They're there to hallow. And day and night, they keep saying this verse. And they have these eyes all over them so that they can fully see God. And seeing God as he really is, leads them to this chorus of holy, holy, holy. And they never get over it. They never grow tired or bored, never cease to be in awe of the wonder of God. And neither do we. Prayer flows from the posture of our hearts towards God, not from reaction to the world around us. Everything that comes from the Lord's prayer after this first sentence is an overflow of the name of God being hallowed in the heart of the praying person. It's out of this place that prayer becomes powerful. In Acts 16, um, Paul and Silas get themselves thrown into prison. Um, <coughs> it's kind of a funny story. There's this female psychic slave um, and she makes money uh, for her owners by fortune telling. Um, and she follows Paul around shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. I feel like that's pretty, like that's a funny thing for 
the psychic lady to follow these guys around saying. Um, and Paul gets fed up with it and he turns around and he rebukes the demon out of this woman in the name of Jesus. And so obviously the slave owners are pretty annoyed because they're like, man, that was our way to earn money and you've just spoiled it, bro. So like, we're going to put you in prison. And so they have a trial and everyone agrees with them and Paul and Silas get thrown into prison for that. And then this is from Acts 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Praying and singing hymns in prison, in their lowest, toughest moment, and they choose to do this. I think this is because they understand the power of this defiant adoration. Psychologist um, David Brenner said, it is relatively easy to meet God in moments of joy or bliss. In these situations, we correctly count ourselves blessed by God. The challenge is to believe that this is also true and to know God's presence in the midst of doubt, depression, anxiety, conflict or failure. But God, who is Emmanuel, is there in both these contrasting moments. Hallowed be your name is the most powerful in the most unlikely places. And the story of Paul and Silas goes on. And suddenly there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken and at once the prison doors flew open, their chains came loose, and one thing leads to another, and they convert the guard that's standing there to become a follower of Jesus. The words of the Lord's Prayer after hallowed be your name, are, as you might know, are your kingdom come, your will be done. Paul and Silas hallowed, and then God's kingdom came as the guard gave his life to Christ. Hallowing is one of the most obvious ways that we bring heaven to earth. Teach us to pray, the disciples say to Jesus, and he responds, start by remember who you're talking to. Biblically, we are commanded to remember more than to obey, to do, to not do, to go, or to even pray. Remember, why do we need to remember? Because we often forget. Remember all he's done. Hallow his name, and your prayer life and relationship with the Lord will be transformed. So, how can we do this? Um, I shared and mentioned, and Tanya already led us in it this morning about praying psalms, um, and that's a great way. Another great way is a way we already do every Sunday that Danny and Amber led us so beautifully in this morning in worshipping. Um, and then one final way that I want to mention is a cool way that... I'm sure some of you have tried before and that I've been trying to do a lot more, is this practice of gratitude. Um, just to practice thanksgiving um, as a simple form of adoration, to review the day each day before you go to bed and just see where the Lord has been moving and just to thank Him for all the good things that He's been doing in your life throughout that day. And then to reflect on where you felt closest and where you felt farthest from the Lord's presence. God is always with us, but I feel sometimes our awareness of his presence can wane. Adoration in prayer takes the focus from our list of things and allows us to see and partner with what the Lord is already doing as we surrender and hallow to him. Amen. <laughs>
To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or by visiting our website, www.centerpointvineyard.org. The theme song for this podcast is Highest Praise by Kieran Delahart. So we sing